Church, if you will stand, we are going to read um, the Advent reading uh, this week. Uh, it's in a new translation this week, same text. Uh, it's from Luke 4, 1 through 13, and we're reading it from the NRSV. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell us the stone will become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished on all his tempting, he left him until an appropriate time. You may be seated. So Jesus, I pray that you help us to hear that word, that scripture, those temptations that the enemy was bringing you, God, and and we hear that and you bring that to us today, Lord. Would you clarify, would you speak through us, and God, would you communicate your word to your people this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hi, my name is Kyle Harmon. I know this is weird. I'm not wearing like an ugly Christmas suit like Austin over here, but, but, but hey, no, it looks great. It's beautiful. I, I, that, Mark said that first. <laughs> but I'm the worship director here at Pine Lake Covenants, and uh, it's just a blessing to be here this morning, get to preach with you, speak with you guys this morning. And for everybody online, thank you for joining. Um, I just want to confess to this, this, um, this esteemed group of covenanters, covenantists, what are we? I'm new here. I don't know. Covenant. Ooh, it is real. Covenanters is a real. Th- okay, nice. Awesome. That was a guess. That I did not know 15 years ago what Advent was. I had no idea. You know, see, I, I came from, uh, from a little church of 10,000 people. <laughs> not a little church, but it was a non-denominational um, charismatic church. Yeah. Uh-huh. I see. Well, there they are. Those eyebrows went up. I saw them. Yeah, no, don't worry, you're safe here this morning. I'm not, I'm not going to be charismatic, there's not going to be any faith healings, I promise. But when somebody told me about Advent, I was like, do you mean, you mean Christmas, right? Like Christmas is, uh, Christmas I get, you know, I was comfortable with um, flag dancers, tambourines, people bringing their own instruments, you know, the occasional snake. But this Advent thing, it was, you know, it was a bridge too far for me. You see, because I love Advent now, but 15 years ago, I, I did not understand. I didn't get it. Why are we waiting? Because I'm, I'm terrible at waiting. My wife is nodding in the back. If you want to ask, you know, understand who a man is, you ask his wife, right? 
she will tell you that I am terrible at waiting. I saw somebody post something recently, and it was a sports guy, and he was like, you could be a Seahawks fan, or a Niners fan, a Mariners fan, or a Yankees fan, but if you do not go through that yellow light, so help you God. <laughs> and that, and that is me. And I wish it weren't me, but that's who I am. So I am terrible at waiting. But the other thing about this Advent thing I didn't get was that I love Christmas. I, I love Christmas, right? I was the first one up in our house every Christmas morning. And when I say I was the first one up, I, I mean so much so that my parents actually had to make a rule that Christmas in the Harmon household did not start until 5 a.m. <laughs> and I, I mean 5 in the morning. Now, if my kids got me up at 5 a.m., I'm like, Christmas is canceled. <laughs> there is no Christmas today. Love you, sweet girls. Go to bed. Um, but then... I actually called my parents, side note, and I was like, 6 a.m. was what I originally wrote. And my dad was like, 6 a.m., 5 a.m. You got me up 5 a.m., 10 years in a row to do Christmas, and you argued for 3 a.m. Um, so, you know, anyways, so I'm terrible at waiting. But also, I love Christmas, and that's why I was so annoying to my family. So we're, I'm working on this. It's still not a strength of mine, but that's exactly why Advent is so important to me. See, in Advent, we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and we have this time of expectation and faith and hope, right? Where we're not sure Christmas is coming yet. We know it's coming, but we sit in that expectation. And in the last 15 years, I've actually learned to love Advent, right? I've learned to love the expectation, the waiting, the Christmas calendars, the Advent things, and I appreciate Christmas so much more because of that richness we get in the waiting. And this, this Sunday we're talking about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And, and that, that has a big connection with Advent, with that time of waiting. The scripture passage we read just a little go together um, is Jesus' temptation narrative in the wilderness is what it's called. And in the Bible, the wilderness is this very interesting place, right? Like... People of Israel, Hebrew people, they wander the wilderness for 40 years. Um, Abraham takes Isaac to the wilderness to maybe sacrifice him, right? Pretty terrifying. The demon-possessed, they're found in the wilderness too. Elijah experiences the still, small voice of God in the wilderness. And clearly God is present with us in some way in the wilderness that is unique and important. But if we look at the passage right before this crazy wilderness, we see Jesus' baptism, right? And Jesus' baptism... Um, you know, pretty pretty cool moment for Jesus, right? Like, comes out of the Jordan, God declares, this is my son, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. I mean, this is a mountain topic, so this is a good experience for Jesus. And there's a whole bunch of people there, right? So you'd think, if Jesus was going to start his ministry on earth, if he's going to preach, it'd be right there, at the baptism. And yet, Jesus doesn't start preaching right there. He doesn't start his ministry right there. So that tells us something important. You see, Jesus is God, right? If you, if you don't know that, that's cool. Let's talk afterwards. But Jesus is God. And everything Jesus does for us is by example. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness for a very important reason. And Jesus chooses to go into the wilderness with nothing. He has all the acclaim and fame and everything at his baptism. And yet, he chooses to walk into the wilderness with nothing. So that's a really key, important point for us because it tells us, and we see from this passage, that Jesus actually goes into the wilderness with nothing, but he comes out with purpose. He comes out with his calling and his purpose. And that's, and that's an important thing to kind of start from here. So let me tell you a little story. When I first like, left college, went to college in sunny Southern California, loved it, 
and moved to rather less sunny Issaquah, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm not bitter. It's been 15 years. Rains every day. I'm not bitter. Um, but on our way, we saw that Yosemite National Park was literally just right off the, the highway. And we're like, oh my gosh, we got to go. We got to go to Yosemite. If you've never been to Yosemite, there's a shot of Half Dome that's going to come up here. And it is gorgeous. Oh my gosh, so beautiful. But we got there about 3 p.m. How many of you have been to Yosemite? Hands up. Oh yeah, great. Have any of you done the Half Dome Trail? With the cables and everything up at the top? Okay, this is a 16-mile hike. 5,000-foot elevation gain. Not not a beginner's hike, right? And um, most people start this hike at like 8 a.m., 7 a.m., older people, you know? Uh, We started this at 3 in the afternoon, okay? (laughs) I'm just going to say right now, this was a bad idea. This was a bad idea. And we kept, we started hiking and we just kept passing people on the way down. And we were like, okay, what's up with this? Like not a single person going with us on the way up. And we had no food, no tents, no lighting. I reiterate, this was a bad idea. (laughs) This is a terrible idea. And it got so dark that we finally started to, to lose the trail. And I don't know if you've been in that situation on a hike before, but it is not a good situation. You start to hear creepy crawlies, animals, a lot of fear starts coming in. You're like, oh, no. And so Tom and I started to run, also a bad idea in the dark on a trail. But we ran down this whole trail, basically, and then about a mile and a half, two miles before the end of the trail, we look and we see, okay, there's no light. The dark has come, that dark midnight blue, and we just lose the trail. So we start praying, Tom and I, and we go, okay, God, just help us, please, find this trail. And as we looked, we saw this, this little light, tiny flashlight, this light in the distance. And we said, oh my gosh, we got to go. We ran. It was like 200 yards. And we got there, and lo and behold, there was this father with his 8-year-old son, and they had been lost in Yosemite for 10 hours. I mean, the kid was like catatonic, like glazed over eyes. The father was just stumbling. And Tom and I were like, okay. Can we have your flashlight? Goodbye. No, just kidding. We were like, <laughs> we, we, we picked up the kid. We started walking. We said, let's get down this mountain together, right? Clearly. So it wasn't easy. We had to descend step by step down this like wet waterfall, super dark. Not a good idea. Again, I say it. But Tom and I went into Yosemite, into the wilderness, foolishly with nothing, a little bit like Jesus. But we came out with this purpose of finding this man and saving this little boy. Now, I am sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that neither Tom and I nor this kid and his father would have made it down that night, right? Positive, without one another. And I share this story not just to show the power of prayer, which is amazing, and God answers prayers, but I think it's also as close as we can get to understanding the wilderness, right? As a 21st century American, I am keenly aware that I have very little contact with the actual wilderness, (laughs) right? Like, our entire society is well-designed to keep us safe, to protect us, and honestly, as Americans, it's designed to keep us comfortable, drive through society, right? Like, comfiness is is our safe place. And even the hikes and the wilderness training we go on actually has very little like chance of us getting hurt or lost and like there's there's tv shows we watch i think you know sometimes to like get it like there's like naked and afraid right i don't yeah yeah first of all does that look safe or comfortable (laughs) no also why are they naked does anybody i don't know anyways i digress so i'm not telling you to apply for that show please don't we don't want that and i'm also saying don't go into the mountains at 3 p.m 
but as Americans especially like Jesus, we have to choose to walk through the wilderness. Pastor Austin had a great message last week. If you didn't hear it, go back, listen to it. But he, he makes a point to tell us that we're all going to go through the valleys. We're all going to have those mountaintop Jesus baptism experiences, right? We've all had them. But we have to choose to walk into the wilderness and to be a good steward of that wilderness experience. So like I said, the spiritual is more present in the wilderness. And Jesus, this narrative about Jesus' temptation is actually rooted in the idea that God tests us because God loves us. God tests us because God loves us. That's kind of an uncomfortable idea, right? Tests. But we see it throughout Scripture. We see it in Jesus going into the wilderness. We see it with Abraham and Isaac. We see it with Noah. We see Job. It's it's all throughout Scripture. So as we look a little closer at this passage, we see that God has this test for Jesus in the wilderness, but he also has the enemy comes and meets Jesus and gives him these temptations. So let's look a little bit closer at these temptations. So in the first temptation, Jesus is being tested and, and by God, but the devil comes and he says, hey, turn, this, turn the stone into bread, right? Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. <laughs> I mean, how about you? 40 hours, I'm like, I'm going to have like a thumb barbecue. <laughs> I, am eating, I am eating my own hand at that point. And Jesus not turning stone into bread, wow. Powerful, but... You know, it's, it, what is happening here is actually the devil is coming to him and saying, Hey, God is calling you to rely on him, but I'm going to give you a different way out. Use your power, use your miraculous authority, and get, and get out of this test. Right? So that's, that's, that's temptation one. The second temptation the devil offers, he offers Jesus all the glory and all the authority of the world. Okay? Sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty cool. But Jesus is God. Right? So does Jesus already have all the authority and glory of the world? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So what is the devil actually offering Jesus? He's, he's, he's not offering him all the authority and glory of the universe. He's offering him the political power of that world. He's saying, I have this, which he doesn't really, but he kind of does. And he says, I have this. If you just worship me, I'll give it to you. And what this actually is, again, it's a way out. It's a way out of Jesus' calling. Jesus knows he's in the wilderness. He's finding that purpose. And that purpose, it's going to lead him to the cross, right? It's going to lead him to sacrifice. And the Jews, we know, on Palm Sunday even, expected Jesus to come in and be this king, right? And so the devil is saying, hey, man, you can be the king. I got you. I'll just, just worship me and you're the king now. You don't have to go through that cross. You don't have to go through this wilderness. Just Let's just be done with this. You're good. Jesus said no. I will not do that. And we have the third temptation, the final temptation. The devil actually brings Jesus to the top of the temple, highest point in Jerusalem, and he says, throw yourself down, for it's written that the angels will, will, will protect you and guard you. So first of all, that, I mean, that's not really true, right? Like, yes, the angels would guard Jesus, but we don't see Jesus running around with like a whole group of Power Ranger angels in the, in the scripture, right? Like, that's not a thing. It's not his like seven dwarves of angels. No. Jesus knows that that is actually a metaphor about divine protection that the devil is lying about. The devil's a liar. The devil is a liar. And he's going to come to Jesus and us in those dark moments. He's going to lie to us. And so Jesus says, no. Do not put the Lord your God to the test because Jesus knows that it's not the revealing of his miraculous power that will change people. 
Let me say that again. It's not the revealing of Jesus' miraculous power, right, that he is God, that will actually change people. And I've always kind of wondered about this, because you think, like, if God's God, why doesn't God just, like, come out of the sky and be like, hey, I'm God. Hey, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> you guys are worshiping me now. It's, it's over, right? But that doesn't happen because Jesus and God, they know particularly that our faith and obedience to God is what transforms us. It's not just knowledge. If knowledge was the only thing to change us, that we would, it would be over. But they know that it's in the faith that we have. We talked about faith earlier. That faith that we have and our obedience will actually transform us. So as we heard earlier, I said this is the second Sunday in Advent and we are focusing on, on faith. And we read faith is described in Hebrews as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And you see, knowledge, like we said, it does not change us. It's faith. Believing in, in that, that evidence of things unseen. Faith in God and faithfulness to God's call, that purpose we get in the wilderness, that's what's going to change us. We see this in Abraham. Even Sometimes faith in the Bible it even contradicts knowledge, right? Abraham's told to go sacrifice his son. That's in direct violation of God's commandments. And he goes to do it because he believes that God will give him another way out. That God... He has faith in God's provision and God will be faithful. Noah builds an ark even though it hasn't rained in years and years and years. I mean, you ever have that weird neighbor <laughs> next to you and the guy's like building some like, you know, she shed for his wife, but it's like it's, it's getting bigger than the house. And you're like, oh, that's, a, that's an issue back there. <laughs> that's Noah, right? <laughs> his neighbors are passing and being like, whoa, bro, okay. Hasn't rained. Got some elephants back there. I don't know about this. But Noah is acting in faith. Not necessarily knowledge, because he knows that's what changes us. So God uses this testing and this wilderness to form Jesus and shape his purpose on earth. And we see through these temptations, through, through these difficulties, through this trial, what's most important is actually Jesus' faithful response. That's what's most important. That's what it looks like to be a good steward of the wilderness experience. It's, it's not just that we walk through the wilderness. I said we had to choose to walk through the wilderness, but we also have to choose to have a faithful response that's in keeping with the call that God has on our lives, that purpose. So, what is, is your wilderness? I just want to think for a second. Like, what is your wilderness? And, and obviously we don't go walking into the wilderness these days. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Done it. Tried it. Don't do it. <laughs> Uh, there will be rescue helicopters and, you know, some bloodhounds that will come find you. Um, but we can connect with this idea of wilderness with the places where we feel lonely, alone, solitary, isolated. So where do you feel lost and what, what, what wilderness are you walking through right now? Maybe you've had a divorce. Maybe you're sick. Or somebody you know is sick. Maybe somebody in your life close to you has passed away. Maybe there's a broken relationship that you don't have any faith that it's going to heal. All of us have these experiences that are wildernesses. So I ask you, what is your wilderness? Whoa, this microphone just wants to fall off. I'm sorry, guys. So as many of you in this room know, seven years ago, I began to experience some really bad sleep issues. And that affected my, my voice and my throat, my overall health. I got really sick all the time, and I still sometimes do. And even sometimes speaking to people, singing I couldn't do for two years, and speaking to people was off the table some days. 
really hard. Because of this, I had, to, I had to leave my last job. We had to move out of our house, which was really, really awful and tough on my wife, and we rented it out. We had to humble ourselves and move in with our wonderful in-laws. <laughs> They're in the back, grateful for them. That is also tough, though. Not going to lie. That's hard. That's a humbling experience. And I couldn't sing, like I said, my favorite thing in the world for two years. Small conversations were painful and difficult, and, and, and because of this, I actually began to... You know, what I thought, what is my response? And I just started to have temptations to isolate myself. And so I did. I said, you know, I'm not going to have that conversation. That's too hard. And I, and I started pulling back from community groups and friendships. And, you know, I, it drove me to be removed from community. And I got to say, this was, was one of the darkest points in my life. And not surprisingly, like Jesus, in those 40 days, the enemy came to me. And the enemy came to me and he, he told me, Kyle, nobody loves you. He came to me and he said, Kyle, you're never going to be able to sing again. He said, no one really wants you around here. Nobody wants you to keep living. And, uh, and those were some serious temptations that the enemy came to me with. That was very hard. Now, I want to be clear that I don't think God caused my illness. I don't think God does that. God's not the cause, right, of all the bad things that happen in this world. Hear that, please. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves to redeem those tough things. Amen? God loves to take the things that were meant for our destruction and use them to defeat the enemy. God loves to use those difficult things in our lives to refine us and call us into deeper relationship with himself. And I'm so sure of this because of what I've learned through my journey. And I've learned what a faithful response is. My faithful response when my voice doesn't work is speaking to people. The only way out is through. It's sharing my difficulties. It's telling you all and being honest. Some days I don't have it. It's admitting to myself and others that I can't do everything, which is hard for me. And it's relying on the support of my community. And it's plugging back in and having people around me who walk and hold this with me. I can honestly also say that I wouldn't have come to any of this realization had deep community, had real purpose, if I hadn't walked through those seven years and how hard that has been on us and our family. I would have continued operating out of insecurity, out of fear, but God didn't want that for me. God wanted me to have that real purpose that we see Jesus having outside on the other side of the wilderness. So through this experience, this difficult wilderness experience, I've learned to become a good steward of the wilderness. And that my purpose, the purpose of Kyle Harmon, the purpose God has proclaimed upon me to put on this earth, is to proclaim God's truth that transforms people. I know that. That's, a, that's in my bones, that fire in my bones that I, I, I can't let go. I have to tell God's truth. I have to tell God's truth. And of course the enemy would come and take my voice if I had to tell God's truth. Amen. And that's, you guys hear me sing that song all the time. I know, I sing it too much. I'm sorry. It's called Goodness of God. <laughs> but I'm going to keep singing it. <laughs> because it says, with every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And some days I can't. And some days I can't. But that's why you keep singing it. And that's why you keep talking to people and working and having that faithful response. And that's what that looks like for me to walk in that wilderness.
Growing up, I talked about how much I loved Christmas, right? Loved Christmas. I, I sat at 5 a.m., 3 a.m., argued for it, didn't get it. <laughs> but what I didn't really talk about is why. And uh, here's a picture of my dad that's going to go up here. You see, I love Christmas so much because of how special my parents made Christmas, and particularly my dad. You see, that, that, kid, that kid on the left, that's me. That kid is not happier than sitting in his daddy's lap and just getting to celebrate Christmas that day. Never happier. My dad actually started this tradition of wrapping every single present in our stockings. It's tedious, it's onerous, but it's so fun. And, <laughs> and we would go through, he would go through and crease every present, and he would hide like $20 bills in those little, those little like, you know, candy oranges that nobody ever eats. Um, <laughs> right, right? <laughs> she knows, Julie knows. But when I describe that type of a father to you, right, sounds amazing, you wouldn't know that my dad grew up in an orphanage. And that my dad's experience of Christmas was getting in line with all the orphans, walking up to this pile of Christmas presents, picking one out and opening it in front of the donors, and then setting it on a shelf for everybody. Yeah, that's an awful Christmas, right? And he did that for 15 years. He hated Christmas. My dad hated Christmas. And, and, and the beautiful, amazing, wonderful thing is that my dad took that wilderness experience of his Christmases growing up that he should have never had to live through. And he turned that into the most beautiful, unique, magical Christmases for me and my family. He took the exact opposite of what he was given and, and he gave the best to us. Isn't that God? Isn't that the beautiful nature of the God that we serve? That's the beauty of what's on the other side of the kingdom here. It, our purpose isn't just for us. It's to bless others and build God's kingdom. And now you see, my girls and my family, they get to live with this understanding of Christmas that I get to share with them. Wrapping every present, wrapping every stocking present. It's going to take me six hours, but I don't care. I love it. Because my dad did that for me. And my dad let God redeem his wilderness experience. My dad was a good steward of the wilderness. Jesus' experience in the wilderness helped shape him and gave him purpose. And he wouldn't take the way, the easy way out that the devil offered him. Instead, he took that hard way, the way of suffering, of sacrifice on the cross. We see behind us the reason we're here. Jesus was a good steward of that wilderness. He allowed God to take the difficult and trying experience and by the power of the Holy Spirit used it to give him purpose and minister to others through that purpose. That's the beauty of God's redemption. God uses our wounds to heal others. God uses our weaknesses to show his strengths. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So as we walk into this Advent season together, I just I want you to ask yourselves, what is my wilderness? Where is God testing me in this place I'm at right now? And as God shows you this, I encourage you to pray and ask, what purpose does God have for me right now on the other side of this and even in the midst of it? I know it doesn't seem like there's an end sometimes. Seven years for me did not seem like an end. It's still not the end. But there is, and I know that God has purpose for us there. Amen? I'm confident that God will show us what that is. That God will meet us there. 
and that God will always be truly with us, Emmanuel. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you that you are the God of the wilderness. God, that you meet us in trying times, Lord, that you love us despite our flaws, and Lord, even use our flaws to confound the things of this world, Lord, to heal and bless others and to proclaim your truth. God, would you use us today? Would you give us your wisdom, your, your, your sight, God, to see, Lord, where you have your will for us? Would you give us your faith, as we talked about today, God, to know where to follow you deeper and where you have that purpose for us to bless other people? And we pray this in your son's mighty, powerful, and blessed name. Amen.